to the official podcast of the Canberra Raiders. Habili off the Caesar. Now he puts a kick out. Croak is there again. Oh, Jared Croaker! What a catch by the skipper! Come join us as we go Behind the Limelight. Yes, welcome back to Behind the Limelight after a nice week off for Origin. We'll touch on the Raiders' massive effort against the Sharks a fortnight ago. Also, we'll, we'll catch up with, uh, for the first time on the podcast, Raiders' recruitment manager and a man of deep wisdom in the game of rugby league, Pete Mulholland. And our backing time to 89 is a Raiders outside back, Paul Martin. Gents, Benny Pollock, Scotty Logan. Tommy Scotty Logan. Logan. <laughs> He doesn't look like Scott Logan. Tommy Logan. Scotty Logan's still in town. I've well, seen him. I, th- I think we are related, but you, you wouldn't know it based on uh, uh, size. I'm more of a, a, a winger and he's a prop <laughs> forward, He's so. coaching the, the Bell Connors Yeah, I've seen him at the Raiders the Raiders Club when we are doing the call. He yep. still mate, looks like he could play. Gents, let's get through. Plenty to get through after a week off. Uh, let's just touch on the Raiders win a fortnight ago. Canberra 22, Sharks 20. 20 nil at half time. We thought, happy days, let's pull the champagne out. Uh, 2020. I never thought that. <laughs> oh, mate, we had the champagne. We had the high fives in the box and everything. It was, it was a good start. Let's, let's a be great honest. Start. It was a wonderful um, wonderful night down there, actually. It was mm. a Thursday night. Um, decent crowd in for a Thursday night mm. fixture, just over 10,000. And uh, having that Channel 9 um, vibe. vibe as well with, the, with all the production and all those superstars that they have that they bring in for the game. and. Uh, the guys got out to a wonderful start, 20 nil up. Feels like forever ago that game yeah. now, but um, performance <clears throat> in that first half was was excellent, um, and probably uh, you know could have gone on with it. However, the Sharks once they started to get a bit of a roll on, they got a quality team. For uh, Wade Graham was probably one of, if not the best player on the field that when night. He come on, and he was he fantastic, um, and made it. They got it back to 20 all, and. Uh, you know, in, in past seasons, we, we could have let that one slip. But uh, to the boys' credit, they, they managed to get down the field in good field position, earn a penalty, uh, kick the goal, and then hold on for the win. You mentioned, uh, again, maybe in previous years, might have lost that. Gents, in hindsight, now talking to the players involved in that game, two big points. I asked them, what was it like at 20 all? And the comfortability was there. The There was no, you know, getting frantic about things. They thought, you know, we can still get this. And there was a penalty made... Decision made there from Ashley Klein when Drew Fafita came out of line and put his shoulder hit on on Caesar, and then there was a bit of a, there was a bit of late uh, contact. We, we we lost it up in the box. We thought at least the Raiders penalty maybe on report, but he saw it differently yeah. and went and Caesar and, looking and gave at the, the penalty. back at the vision. I don't think there was anything illegal that Andrew Fafita did. He just yeah. got him with it because the ball was still live. Yes, the Sharks had knocked on Caesar had picked up and and had played on, so the ball yeah. was still live. So you know. At, First look, you thought shoulder charge, but you know once you look back at the replays in the in the cold like light of the next motion. day, it, it yeah. looked it was probably okay. We were penalised for coming in third yeah, man in, third and man that in. was the that was probably the contentious decision on the night. I mean, they could have easily gone, okay, it's blown just, up just a little bit, calm down, yeah. we're going to go back and pack the scrum. But at, the, at that point of the game, it, it could have really turned things. But my point was, I asked a lot of the boys, I asked blokes like Buddy and all them, saying, what were you feeling when he's got penalised like that? And they said, you know what, we needed that. We lifted after that. Mm. And their line's been after that and their aggression. And maybe that call could have turned the game for the positive. And we speak about the boys more mature with their on-ground adversity in the past, they might have lost their bundle and kind of got penalised out of the game and got beaten. It could have ended up being 40-20. to 20. But 22-20, we've beat a team in the top eight against a good quality roster. Johnson was back. Everyone was back. Dugan had a good game against his family down here. Huge win for us, Tommy Logan. Yeah, it was. And just on that Fafita incident, that's definitely one thing that's been quite evident so far this season is that 
when a decision doesn't go our way, you can see that the team really digs deep and gels together under, I guess, adversity mm. in you know some decisions that might not go our way. But yeah, like great win. Uh, Sharks are a really quality side. I think they should be a lot higher up than. Well, they chairs. will be. They, they will, will be. be by the end of the year. They'll be challenging us for a, for a top four spot. Um, I, it's going to come down probably um, to us, the Sharks, Manly, you know, perhaps Parramatta, if they can put it's things be a together. Great final series. It's going to be a year. cracking final series. But it's us. It's up to us to keep on winning and first of all stay in the eight and then mm. try and, and get a top four position because it's absolutely vital come finals time to Lee's get wins. that top four spot. And you mentioned about uh, the balance in the top eight. What about the balance in the squad? We win that game. Probably our best win of the season so far. Win it without, one could say, our poster boy, our marquee boy in, in Josh Hodgson. We're winning games without them. But speaking of, Hodge will be back this week. He will be back this week. He's been passed by uh, medical staff, a specialist to return from that broken thumb. Um, he got a pretty good diagnosis uh, when he first did it. Um, and the operation that he had to have uh, wasn't as severe as first thought. So uh, he's got a screw in his thumb that will mm. stay in there. So he'll be one of those guys that gets pulled up at metal detectors going forward. <laughs> um, but, but he's um, but he's all good. I mean, that basically what that means is he didn't have to have a second surgery to remove any pins or anything like that. Yeah. So uh, that probably speeded up his recovery process. And he comes back into the side this week. And um, I've been told too that Corey Horsburgh uh, comes back in uh, for this game as well. So there's a, a timely boost there. The troops are starting to come back on deck. What about Nicky? How far uh, is he away? He's probably um, probably uh, close, but he won't play this weekend. Um, hopefully the Dragons game, because we've got another bye, obviously, yeah. after this one. I'll think um, go straight into the centres there. By the sounds of it, no, I think Seb Chris is going to get the nod there. Okay. Uh, to, to get an opportunity, he played right, plays right centre. Um, was, was impressive in his eighty-minute performance. Uh, Michael Oldfield um, will be in the mix as well, but there's mm. there's both of those guys there that could have an opportunity to come in. Tommy Logan, boys, uh, travel up to Darwin. Of course, a Parramatta home game. Boys are travelling up Thursday. Parramatta, a bit hot and cold. They really put a good score on the Broncos in the last outing. It looks like the Broncos haven't come back from the bye just quietly, but look the. Parramatta Eels been hot and cold. It's hopefully, for Raiders' perspective, they're, they're cold this week, but they're a good footy team as well. Yeah, they are. You, you never know what you're going to get with them um, when they show up on the day. You know, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, the Sharks, they absolutely just pumped them. And then, obviously, Parramatta bounced back. But it's just – it's just a, they're, they're one of those really funny teams where you just don't know what you get, and it depends on the day. Bit of a box of chocolates, eh? Yeah. Thanks, <laughs> uh, Forrest. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, well, they beat Tigers at Banquist by 50. That's and then right. a fortnight later, they lost by 60, mm-hmm. you know, 110-point turnaround against the Storm. Storm. That and was they, a demolition yeah. that night. Yeah. That was an absolute demolition job. It was, um, it was like 50 with like 20 minutes to go. We thought, oh, oh, this could they're be a real, They're a real confidence team, Parramatta. Yeah. If they get off to a Young good start team. and score mm. a few tries early, they, they're they really dangerous. Uh, I look at their back three, big bodies looking Fergo. for yardage carries coming out of their own end. So you've got Blake Ferguson, Clint Gutherson, and Mike Acevo as well. Um, yeah. So, you know, they're... That a big thing for us will be our kicking game needs to be spot on. We need to, to get the ball uh, on the grass, in between players, and then absolutely nail them down their end because they start their roll onto their sets with those three uh, and they try and get the ball down the other end off the back of what they do. So um, I remember we played the Eels earlier in the season and there was a lot of talk around Blake Ferguson's start to the season and he's had a great season. Let's yeah. not you know, be on there. But what we did really well in that game was we limited his um, opportunity with the ball and I think he got... Busted nose, and then he we had to, he had to come off with a yeah, rib injury. Didn't finish the game. He did. So that's yeah. I mean that's the that was the game plan. Then I, I don't think things will stray too far from that this weekend. I think it's all about getting up in their face uh, and not giving them any space with the ball. 
Both like Gutherson loves that space, and he's you know he was 18th man, so he's been in a Blues camp during the week, so he'll come and really bounce into this game to lead his team. Junior Paulo was outstanding for his team for the Eels last week, and he'll mm. come against his old mates, looking to get the two points. Brad Arthur's come out, sorry Tommy, a couple of times this year. Usually a coach will come out and spray uh, maybe once or twice to to get you to lift. Arthur's done that about four times. He did that a few weeks ago as well. So I think uh, he'll get him ready, especially down there in Darwin. I think it could be a Parramatta stronghold down there. One could think. One could think. Well, Parramatta's uh, got a, a relationship with the Northern Territory government. They play a trial Ricky game. Set that up. They play when probably. probably, probably he yeah, set that up. Play a trial game up there uh, in Alice Springs, and they've got the competition match in Darwin. So this will be our second trip to Darwin. Uh, yes. We played them Rapper's in 2014. Rapana's debut game for and the Jared club. Jared Hayne beat us. That's right. He played. Rapana played fullback that yeah. night, and he, uh, he he was absolutely. Um, electric in Great. his first ever game for the club at fullback. So um, he goes back up there 100 games later. It's the mm. 101st game for him. So um, an opportunity to, to go back up there. But you know, you were right. Jared Hayne tore us apart that night. Um, it was a close there. game, I think. But it, was was a for a yeah. it was 10 6 for a while. It was 10 6 for a while. And then they, they, they scored a couple of late tries and, and put it away. Uh, obviously, the conditions are different than what they are here. It's going to be quite hot and humid up there, about 30 degrees it was probably. So. Ball. Yeah, Captain's the run. soapy balls out. Uh, but the, the you know we've we've shown already this year that in Townsville we early on the season when it was very hot um, we put in a good performance and uh, pre season they they trained in that heat all summer long so I think they'll be okay. Tommy, you're heading up, mate. Uh, what's the preparation like? Early flight Thursday morning. Yeah, it's bringing your boardies and the singlets and yeah, the thongs. Yeah, I'm gonna have to dust off a lot of the summer gear, so that's gonna be uh, pretty interesting. You know, taking out the thongs. But yeah, just one thing that I had noticed last week was that the the team that uh, obviously that were involved in internationals or origin, uh, they stay behind and they, they were doing a lot of conditioning work. Uh, so I'm, you know, hopefully, um, you know, we get up there and we don't show any signs of, I guess, sort of, you know, being under fatigue. I asked the boys this at the press conference yesterday when we were talking to them for media opportunities, what it is about these sort of um, extended away trips that, that, that brings them close, so close together mm. and what they do that makes them um, seem to perform well in these games. Because you think about Townsville, uh, the Gold Coast in round one, uh, we also went, and although we didn't get the win, we almost pulled off a um, a, a huge comeback in Magic Weekend. Uh, and they said that the you know the couple of days away, you know, while yes, they're away from family and uh, and things for those couple of days, it sort of brings them together yeah. as a group. And they take that out on the field. They do, they, they do. do, and they spend a bit of time with each other, and they love they it. hang around each other, and they you know doing all that sort of stuff together, and then all of a sudden they. They come out and perform. So, look, it's an, it's another opportunity to, to put something together this weekend. Well, just having said that, you know, speaking of players that have moved on from the club, and I won't mention any names, but they talk about the Raiders, the, the most kind of harmonious team to play for, the most mm. family-orientated. Some of the Sydney clubs, because it's Sydney, some people might live in different areas, so they only see each other at training on Tuesdays and yep. you know Thursdays, whereas the Raiders, small team down, everyone's yeah. together. Some of those Sydney clubs guys are, are driving 50 60, even longer, an hour and a half to, to get the training each day. And, of course, as soon as that final whistle goes on that training field, they're in the car and out of here and because they've got to get home again. Yeah. Um, but we, we don't have that here. It's, you know, probably the furthest drive for anyone in this team is 15 minutes from HQ. So mm. um, they do spend a lot of time with each other. Um, mm. And they do full days here too. We do, you know, in between sessions, you know, there's promotions and, and community appearances and things like that. So, um you know, there's not as much of that free time we, we've we've heard in the past, um, and you know we were probably a little bit of it as well. The boys would, you know, basically leave in training, go and spend the afternoon playing PlayStation and things like that. But now Play they're Fortnite. now they're doing other stuff. They're, you know, they're out there being 
Good citizens. Or part of the maturity of the Canberra Raiders. Yep, that's as, right. As the coach means. All right, gents, let's do this. Okay, round 15 of the NRL. What's the Darwin Stadium called? TIO Stadium. TIO Stadium. Another corporately sold stadium. The Raiders v Parramatta, an away game for us. I'll start with you. Uh, coming off a point there. Yeah, I said Jared Croker would score last week too. I did say two tries, but he did score one We're to equal to Jason Croker's uh, record. Uh, what do you got for us this week? I think Jordan Rapana, after, or Rapana, I should say, um, after making his debut there for the club in 2014, uh, I sniff a big game from Raps this weekend. He was a little bit quiet against the Sharks. Um, couldn't get himself into the game as he, as he usually would, but um, I think he'll be a real big part of our go forward this weekend. So out of the match or a try as I well? think a try. I think a try for Raps and, and probably a lot of run leaders too. Tommy, what do you got? How did you go last a fortnight ago? Yeah, not too good. So did you say CNK? No, I said Joe Tarpane uh, yes. to have a big game and possibly you know. I thought score. he was really good. Taps yeah, in, his, yeah. in his first stint in particular last yeah. game. But uh, while you mentioned our fullback, uh, he will be my fearless prediction this week. So I'm predicting him. He was a bit. I thought he was a bit. Well, certainly by his standards, he was a bit quiet uh, fortnight ago against the Sharks. So. I'm tipping him to cross that, cross the line. That sort of opposition is probably not suited to Chance, yeah. I reckon, because they're, you know, they're really gritty in your face, play down the middle of the field, mm. um, and they don't give you a lot around the ruck, yeah. and that's where he's dangerous, is that, really tight that the footy around the, the ruck, you know, pushing up in support and things like that. So uh, a team like Parramatta, you know, they have shown this year that they can open up, so maybe you're right, Tom. Just on CNK, the fact that he had a quiet game that we stands, still caught those balls, still did those dangerous carries, yeah. mate, mm. he's, a, he's a great He's player. one of those players that um, you'd have to have a really – Ordinary night for you to say that he's had a bad game because he's always yeah. there. He's always there. He turns up. His presence is always felt there. He doesn't go missing. Doesn't go mm. missing. I think he's only dropped one ball and that was in round one mm. during the you know the heavy rain. I don't, I don't even think I can't even remember if he's dropped it was, anything. It was he's, early. That was, it. It was round good. one against the Titans. <laughs> that, that's that's how rare it's been uh, for me. I'll claim a couple, I'll, I'll claim half a point there for Jackie being involved in some tries. He's uh, got a disallowed try towards the end. For me, I think Hodjo is going to have a blinder. He's just re- spoke to him last week on the, at the on the radio. He's just busting to get back out there. A leader like him is just going to his presence are going to be fantastic, and he'll, he'll burrow over for a good hookish try. I reckon. I think that uh, I think you're right there because I think he. Um, I mean, he doesn't feel any pressure because he's one of the game's best hookers, and he gets the opportunity to come back into the team this mm. week and and perform. But uh, the guys have won three games in a row without him. Uh, yeah. th- that would be hurting him. You know, as a personal thing, he's yeah. probably thinking, "This is wonderful. The boys are winning, and he's going to be right behind that." But he he would want to be a part of that, uh, and I think he's stinging to get out there. You're right. I think yeah, he's, he's not a good watcher. No, he doesn't like watching the game. So I think he'll um, he'll get out there this weekend and be his usual self and, and help get the boys around the park, take a bit of pressure off the halves too, which is um, what his job's all about. And for the first time on the Behind the Limelight podcast, NRL recruitment and high performance director, and also deep man of rugby league wisdom. <laughs> Mr. Pete Mahon. Welcome, Pete. Hi, boys. How are we today? Yeah, wonderful, good. Pete. I've got to ask you, how are you travelling? Obviously, it's uh, been well documented that you've got a little bit of a health issue at the moment, but you, you're looking sprightly. I'm feeling good, actually, Benny. Yeah, I um, had a week in hospital last week, got out on Wednesday, and I think the two blood transfusions I got Wednesday really put some fire in me, so... Then got on the plane to Perth and had that 25-year reunion of the Reds. It how was good tremendous. was that? That looked amazing. On, wow. I saw some photos and stuff come out of it. You had pretty much... The bulk of the squad there from those years, it was looked like good fun. Uh, yeah, we had, uh, I think we had 54 players in the time of the Reds and uh, 42 of them turned up in Perth and it was it was a great weekend. Obviously, there's some that are still over there, but um, no, it was great. And, and Lukey Goodwin, who's pretty well known to Canberra fans, sort of the Goodwin family, and uh, Matty Fuller and uh, Chris Dever did a great job in organising it. It was tremendous. Speaking of that, Perth, 
situation there. I'm a fan of the show, Mr. MG, Mark mm. Guy, is a big fan of the show. Every time I mention Canberra, he always mentions yourself there, Pete. He loves you there. He's um, he's a great supporter of the Reds and it was, it was tremendous for us when he was over. Uh, it did, and, and I mean, I'm not saying that we did it ourselves, but MG turned his whole life and footy career around in Perth Absolutely. and came back and then that last couple of years at Penrith. And actually, I had the pleasure of being at Penrith with him in his last year, so it was, it was great. Speaking of that, uh, I always ask MG, mm. they always talk about the prospect of maybe another Perth team happening again. It was unfortunate circumstances just after post-Super League that yep. they bit the dust. They always talk about the opportunity of showing live games out of Perth at live, you know, 7.30, coming out of Perth at 9.30. Mm. But the juniors up there in Western Australia, when you see the Australian Schoolboys Championships, mm. Western Australia is such, such a stronghold. Mm. And without sounding weird, I remember a big quote from yourself when uh, Super League – they lost that court case and had to go back to the ARL and there was that rumour from the from the Super League club saying, you know, we're going to play kids for the first five weeks mm. until we get that appeal. But you come, out the, you come out in the media and said, I wouldn't do that to kids. I wouldn't do that to kids. What is it about recruitment, the young footballer, that's so uh, close to Pete Mulholland's heart? I just think, I suppose I taught for 20 years. and, and School teacher? Up, yeah, brought up teaching kids. But I, I, I think we've got a responsibility and, and you know, I want to play it for 10 years, not 10 weeks. And mm. we throw kids in too early. And and that I, I think they've got to be physically prepared for it. And it's not playing the game. Everybody's got that equal talent. It's just how they prepare for it physically. Um, and I remember when I was at Canterbury and it sort of came to the fore there, we kept our players as like the Finerkins and the Jacks, Josh Jacksons and Clemmers and uh, Moses M. Byers. And there was a whole host of them that we kept back in the 20s purposely to make sure that they were physically prepared to go to that next level to play against men. And I don't mean playing against men. I mean physically prepared to the take bodies. the battle. Yep. Yeah. What about mentally, though? Uh, same thing. I think you can push. What's harder? I think... Uh, in 2019? I, I think... <laughs> I think mentally because there's an, uh, I think our generation at the moment's got this sense of entitlement that I really believe we need to be working on. The kids need to earn their way through it. And yeah. you find kids from harder backgrounds mm. are the kids that really want to earn it. They're the blokes that come through. Um, yeah. the, the guys that you've had, we've had debut this year, yeah. though, they've all seen to handle it quite well. You've got your, your Corey Horsburgh, I mean, Hudson Young, yeah. he had that bit of a slip up, obviously, yeah. with the suspension, Bailey Simonson. Uh, they've all seen to come in and do a job. Do you, do you put that down to the work Rick's done with them or is it the, is it the whole of squad mentality? What do you think it is? I think it's a combination. Look, I've got to give Ricky a hell of a lot of credit and, and for a first-grade coach to have such confidence in those young ones. And especially, like, Bailey Simonson, yeah, you can always find a young uh, outside back that'll debut. Not a problem. I, th- I don't think the game's a little bit different. But Bailey... Bailey was a little bit of a debutante for us, but certainly not on the world stage with the, mm-hmm. with the New Zealand Sevens. So mentally, I think he was prepared for that, that step up. It's the two young ones, like you say, Emre last year, mm-hmm. Jack Murchie last year, Hudson and, uh, and um, uh, Corey. Uh, especially those two this year, they've been uh, physically prepared for it. I think they're mentally prepared for it. But you also got to say they've, they've had some pretty tough upbringings. They've been tough kids the whole way through. Yeah, they've both... They both impressed me in different ways. I mean, Hudson's um, he's a he's a purely physical player. He's got a physical presence, uh, and Corey, he's a he's a real worker. I reckon that with Corey, yeah. I think that you know he, he just rolls his sleeves up and goes again. He he's doesn't let it phase him. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. He's a footballer. Yeah. Hudson. I remember when I was at the Knights, we had Hudson, we had young Tommy Starling, and and um, Brendan O'Hagan, and that Harold Matthews side that won it. Mm. We played Hudson at five eight in those days, and uh, he was wow. a, he was a will of a wisp. Yeah, and he, he's. Look, he's developed, in, and as I say, Hudson's a credit to himself, the way that he's come through. He's, he's had a hard upbringing, as you'll say. And um, Corey, well, 
Corey's a redhead. You've got to have a redhead in <laughs> you your team. Have one, don't you? A Queensland redhead too. Yeah, that's <laughs> even worse. You mentioned about the mentality where sometimes they're a little, they feel a little bit entitled. Yeah. But it's almost like a blessing in disguise as well because you, they get that automatic confidence. So there's not much having to pump their tyres up because they're already pumped up. Is there much, I mean, especially being a teacher yourself, do you get in there with the psychology side of things and try to not get them too confident but have them enough to go out there and do a job and not be nervous because sometimes nerves can ruin a performance? In this I think they're confident stage. Own, Yeah, I, I think those two blokes in particular are quite confident in their own ability. Mm. They wanted to be there. They were ready to be there. And that's a credit to Rick that, that he actually saw that. Mm. And, and it was, it's not just on even the mentality side of it. So Rick would have spoken to a couple of the senior players about how they are at training. Mm. You know, what are they doing away from him that he, that he doesn't see? And I think that's important that they got feedback from players. And, and the thing that we found was, um, and again, the players want to play with these two. They, they want them in their side. The senior players are quite happy to have them in their side. Yeah, um, which is important. So winding it back a little bit from yeah. that, then obviously before it even gets to that point, you've you've got to actually get them to the club. Now, yeah. recruitment um, over the years has, has just become this huge beast. I mean, there's so many junior development squads, carnivals, <laughs> um, opportunities, video that you guys are pouring through. Yeah. And YouTube, I know, you, I know yeah. it's so much stuff. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And you know yourself and and Joel Carboni are doing. Um, you know, you're looking at thousands upon thousands of potential recruits. Mm. How do you know when you've got the right one? You know, I mean, it might sound, might sound ridiculous. I, I like going and watching warm-ups for games. Body language. Yeah, yeah, and how they work in a warm-up. And, and what you'll do then is you'll go and watch these kids warm-up. Then you'll have a bit of an idea of, of where they go on the field, what they like on the footy field. But, I, you know, how do you make a judgment? Um I think it's just a gut feeling half the time. Mm. I, I'm not a, I'm not scientific. I'm, I don't look a lot at stats. I look at what they're doing off the ball, their little one percenters, mm. where they are competing. You're more human. Yeah. Do you like to meet the, the kid and the family uh, and things like that before you get to that point where, you, where you've got the signature? 100%. And that's why Dave Tommy, our welfare manager, comes on a lot of trips with me. And I think we've, we've probably struck pay dirt with that. Um, it's very important to understand what the family's expectations are mm-hmm. because they usually reflect the kid's ex- expectations the players' expectations of themselves. So, you know, we're, we're, really, um, we're really blessed to have someone like Dave there and we do a lot of thorough stuff. There's a test these boys will do before we relocate called the LeVar test, which was set up by the Rugby Union in New Zealand, the All Blacks, on a, on a player's suitability to relocate. And we've knocked back some good footballers in the past four years based on whether they were suitable with red flags on that um, mm. or even some of them have gone home based on the, the lack of suitability to relocate. So that's important. Ben mentioned that we went back a step in the whole process of recruiting. What about what happens? Do you go out fishing? Do you go to all the championships looking for talent, or you might get tipped off by someone saying, "Hey, there's a good guy over there in Queensland. I think you should check him out." How does it all work? Yeah, it's like as I say, I I taught for twenty years in a boarding school, so I could go to just about any country town in Australia and get a tip. But we've got some pretty strategic people. Steve Steve Jackson works for us in North Queensland. Mm. He'll always give us a tip up there. We've got a guy called Marco Peters up there also that's um, given us a good little halfback from Mackay. Uh, in um, Queensland, I've got Dave Miles, who's my assistant, or an assistant at Perth. He's always up around there. But look, you know, this six month and country areas of New South Wales, you always will have your contacts. Uh, this six months has given me the opportunity to, you know, in and out of hospital with this cancer treatment, has given me the opportunity to look a little bit more on the internet. Mm. Uh, you know, you can find them. date with the well, uh, technology? Know, I mean, I got, uh, we got near here Milner Scudder, who went back from Canterbury to become an all black, and I got him off two clips on YouTube. 
Mm. And Benji Marshall was got by a YouTube clip yeah. in mm. Keeper Park. So, I mean, it's kids will put their stuff out there. And I've had some duds off YouTube too, don't worry, because they don't on YouTube, wasn't he? He's been on, there's been a YouTube yeah. video of him, yeah. but, there's, but he's obviously had uh, that ba- Bailey was um, an interesting one. It was, um, I was over at Tauranga and the New Zealand Sevens were training over there and I, and I knew his dad, Paul, when I was at North Sydney. I knew that he played at North and, and mm. so forth. So there was a bit of a connection there. And then we did some more homework and obviously him playing in Canberra as a junior and, and so forth. It wasn't a hard call to get him back. He could live here. Um, and I think he surpassed a lot of expectations. But no, oh. you, you get on the net. I mean, kids post a lot of stuff these days. Um, and then I think, as you say, Benny, you've got to get out and watch the game. So I think that's where it comes from. But again, it's all on your succession planning. I don't want to stack up five centres in the place and that's have right. kids disenchanted. So mm. it's about... Sometimes you might have a gap year where you don't sign anybody because you know that two years behind that you've got a good group of kids coming through and that that's it makes it difficult but it's, is it's there, important. Is there a certain mentality where if you don't use them you can lose them? Yeah, yeah, it certainly is. And and, can, and look, it can be heartbreaking sometimes. And it is, and that's where that's where Rick's been great. I mean, you know, there, there'll be players that will probably might even come for release that you know that if they don't play first grade soon. You know, perhaps they will die on the vine, and you know you've got to be fair and equitable with that stuff too. Mm. And you know, if a player's you see a player that really needs to play first grade, he's not going to be used by you in the next two years. You know, you've got a good wave of kids coming through. Well, perhaps it's time to let him go and, and fly somewhere else. Yeah. What about the actual juggling act that is balancing a squad? I mean, we talked to Don about this a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. The salary caps just yeah. such a complex beast, and um, there's guys that are popping up inside your system that you might not have accounted for that all of a sudden are knocking on the door and pushing yep. into first grade. How, how do you balance that and how do you keep your squad together and harmonious for a long period of time? Because I can't remember a squad in the last 20 years that's that's been very similar for more than two, three years um, at, at any club. Yeah, well, it's an agent's been, game as well too, isn't it? Now? It is, mate. We've yeah. been lucky here. I think we've got a great window of opportunity in the next two years. I mean, obviously we're, we're tied on our cap like most clubs are. Um I think the longer you keep a core group of players together, the better your opportunities are to, to make that um, make those top four, which is the only place you're going to win the competition from is top four. And if you're banging on the top four door every year, you're going to win one eventually. Um, you know, although Penrith, when we were there, we went for wooden spooners to win the competition, which was ridiculous. But, um, you know, that to me is um, – it's a balancing act, as you say, Ben. You've, you've got to give kids an incentive to play first grade. And sometimes I remember when I was at the Knights and Kirk Gidley, I, I'd done a contract for Tyrone Roberts, who's at the Titans at the moment, and I didn't expect, and you don't ever look into your crystal ball expecting a player to be out for the whole season. He was out for a whole season, and all of a sudden Tyrone's bonuses had kicked in. Now, you know, had Kirk Gidley been there for most of the season, Tyrone wouldn't have got those bonuses. So we had a bit of a tight squeeze that next year to fit Tyrone's bonuses mm. into his contract where he elevated himself too. Um Sometimes you've just got to perhaps release someone to, to alleviate that problem in your salary cap, and it's unfortunate. And people these days talk about loyalty. Um, look, really, the, the most loyal thing in our game at the moment are our, are our fans because they do stick. It's just so hard with the salary cap to keep your players that you want to keep. Um, if, you've, if you're around the cap mark, you've got to make some hard decisions on those. So sometimes it's releasing players to release the pressure in the cap. Without naming specific clubs, do you look at some rosters and think, geez, how are they under the cap? Um, <laughs> what are you trying to do? Get me into trouble. He's <laughs> looking for a headline. <laughs> I just think, I just, I'm just curious. And um, it's a question that pops I think up everyone thinks a that. long time. Is, yeah. it, you know, is, it, is it good management? Is it just a matter of players staying for unders to, to play in a certain club? What do you put it down to? Third parties? I don't, I'm not sure what the, 
What's well, the right mix there? Yeah, I, I guess Sydney. Boats. Yeah, <laughs> I guess Sydney's got a you know an inherent uh, quality that it can, and I suppose Brisbane with one team with third party agreements, and I think the the game is making it harder for players to get third party agreements. Um, but yeah, look, there's a lot of innuendo about clubs and how they operate, but. Um, you know, really, uh, you look at it and you think, well, that's it. You've got to, still got to compete against it. So mm. it doesn't worry me too much. It, I think it worries, it probably worries the fans more than it worries me. Pete, being a teacher and a man of development, is there a couple of players that uh, you've seen come through that you've found, that you've recruited yourself, that have gone on to represent Australia? Is there a couple of guys, a couple of stories there of uh, players that you've had in your books that you've found and have gone well, on all the way? Yeah, I think we had, I think I had about six of them in the origin the other night. Dale Finerkin, you know, from down at Bega, uh, or Tarthra is from down there. Um, you know, Moses M. Bai, um, Timmy Glasby, no one wanted Timmy Glasby and I took him to Penrith. You know, he's been great. And, and you know, they're, they're kids. Nami Louis t- tells me a story that uh, when he's at the Dragons, he just gave you a call during the week and yeah. a week later you're at the Ra- he's at the Raiders. Yeah, and, uh, look, Namus... Nama's a great kid. And see, Nama, I never saw Nama as a kid. I, he was tied to the Broncos and that, and you don't go where you're not supposed to go. But he always impressed me as a worker and he's just a great person. And I took him to, took him to the, the, the Dragons and I left the next week. I was, got a call from Ricky and I, I, I honestly, I couldn't wait to get here. I, when Don and Rick approached me, I thought it's a great opportunity. It's Look, a great club. You you've know. been at a lot of clubs. He's <laughs> yeah. always a joke. You've, said you've played at more, Dusty. He's played at more clubs than Slim Dusty. Yeah, right, okay. How many but, clubs have been in total? Nine. Okay, so but don't worry. Three of them are dead. Three, there's three, three of those clubs no longer exist. But the nine out of the nine clubs, and, yeah. and I know it's hard because you're here now and you, you're, you're a paid employee of the Raiders. But where do you put the Raiders amongst all of those clubs that you've worked at? Most stable club I've ever been at. Yeah. Wow. Does and that bit, does that make a difference? That oh, stability. Geez, when when you've got a relationship between the board and the coach, the board and the CEO, the coach and the CEO. Um, you know, that's the most important part of it, Benny. It, it's, to me, it's, um, you know, I like the Bears. I love North Sydney. They were stable. This place here is just, um, it's the passion that's there in the club. And, and you look at your club men and you look at the blokes like Sia Solioli, you, you know, you look at uh, Jared Croker, mm. you look at Lukey Bateman and kids like that. They epitomised what it is. Alan Tung in the past epitomised what it was to be mm. a Raider back in those 89, 90 days, the halcyon days of that Don Furner set up. Because that's an absolute... Uh, Squad killer is when the coach is shown the door because a, a new coach comes in, new staff, new ideas, yeah. and all of a sudden, you, you not only do you have to go back to square one from a coaching perspective, but almost your roster management goes back to the stage yeah. one as well because they have ideas about what sort of squad they want, yeah. and but even it how puts they... you in a position where you've got to rebuild. Yeah, you know, I, I think nineteen ninety four was the greatest year in rugby league ever. And bar none, I think it was a fantastic year of football. And there's a lot of great things done in the game in that year and those preceding years. No different to what Ricky's trying to do here at the Raiders. He goes back to those eight and, and you know, say 89, 99. So what? But they were the, the most successful years this club's ever had. They were also in the halcyon days of the game when it was the most successful the game has Simply ever been. Simply the best. Simply the best. Bring back mm. Tina Turner. But, <laughs> well, know, apparently. But, you know, you think about where we are. The game is still played on the same size footy field. Mm. It's still got 26 players on it that we had in 1908. Mm. You know, things you've got to look back at and see what was successful that make you successful. And the you pa- just, back when you were just starting Oh, yeah, out. it was Daly Messenger. I recruited him. <laughs> You're going to say that. <laughs> um, but, you but know. 94, he's right. That was, that the, was, that was the, the best. 94 was bigger than AFL. Uh, rugby League was bigger than yeah. AFL in 94. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Hands man. down. And, and I don't know. Rugby, the, the Aussie rules, you know, really 
got a, a wind up their sails when we put the Western Reds in. That's they created the the Fremantle Dockers to counter the Reds within six yeah. months. They they and also they they Adelaide knew there was Rams trouble and they had yep. the Port Adelaide as yep. well. But they um they really um had some issues to 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 deal with in the '94 mm. and we obviously the Super League war didn't help our cause. It helped, uh, uh, you know, I suppose the professionalism, if you want to call it that, of the game. But and the video, um, and the, oh yeah, all that stuff. But <laughs> mate, I think what yeah, go back to your question. This is the most stable club yep. I've been at. There you go, Pete. We could talk to you for hours, yeah. but we're going to let you go. We've got plenty of work to do uh, this week in signing up that next batch of Raider stars, and um, no doubt you'll be doing a little bit of fishing overseas for some players soon. Uh, yeah, shortly as well. Well, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's on the line over there, Benny. I'm pretty sure it's hooked. Um, yeah, look, look. From our perspective at the moment, we're up to you know we're looking at extensions of a couple of existing players. Um, obviously, we've got to look at our, our depth chart and where we're going. But um, you know, we've had some success with it, which has been great. Good on you, mate. All the best with the recovery too, mate. I know you're fighting a good fight, so well done. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it, boys. Thank you. Celebrating the 30th anniversary of the Green Machine's epic 1989 Grand Final victory. Yes, this week we go back to the playing field. We chat to Raider number 79, Paul Martin, of course, a Canberra junior, a Raiders junior through and through, made his debut there in 1988. Went through the system here and, of course, battled with Matt Wood for that wing position through the season. Had a good, uh, a good set of minutes in the grand final, of course, coming off the bench. As I said, this week we chat to Raider number 79. As we get back in time to 89, Paul Martin. Thanks for joining us on the Behind the Limelight podcast. Of course, uh, a nice little winger there back in the day. You're a Canberra boy. 89 came around. You were in and out of the team. You kind of shared that position there with Matty Wood. But what was it like for you reaching a grand final after being, look, a Canberra junior? You were involved in the inaugural I think it was the Harold Matthews team with with Mark Bell and Ricky Stewart, and to finally play first grade and to make it on the big stage would have been a good thrill for a local boy like yourself. Yeah, thanks, Nick. Absolutely, uh, it was an absolute pleasure to play with uh, that group of players, and yeah, it had been building for a few years. The uh, club under uh, Wayne Bennett when he came down in '87, and you know, with some juniors coming through, as you say, um, Ricky and Co, um, and then you bring in fellas like uh, a young Laurie Daly. And, what not with guys like Mal Meninga. Yeah, the uh, fundamentals were there to create a pretty good um, and exciting era of uh, a football team. And the club was, uh, you know, really exciting time to be. Yeah, I, uh, I had an illness that year, uh, which sort of set me back, unfortunately. And I had to work hard all year to try and get back into that squad. But yeah, correct. Playing with those guys, um, uh, I've said a number of times, you had to play really, really well just to look average. You know, the way those boys uh, play, you know, absolute Canberra legends and, um, you know, game le- um, legends of the game now. Understood there was no egos. Everyone understood their roles uh, to be successful. And, uh, you know, I see a lot in uh, Canberra side today. Uh, some of those areas have just, you know, improved so much to uh, hopefully they're successful as we were back in that time. Marno, just talking off air with you, uh, you were one of the ones that remembered what was probably said 30 years ago in those sheds because it was quite significant, down 12 points to two. Back then, 12 points to two was quite a significant lead compared to modern times, and, and to concede a try right on the stroke of half time hurts at the best of times in any football game. 
but it would be a killer, a coach killer, a player killer, a confidence killer during a grand final. And I know that Lazo and Boxhead, some of the younger guys at the time, were a little bit negative and kind of kicking their heels. What was said there at halftime to, to keep the team and yourself so so ignited to the job and obviously to go out there and get the chocolates? Yeah, I, I do recall that quite clearly. Um, yeah, and it does hurt, as you've said. Uh what I recall is uh, the way Sheenji come in, there was a few guys, uh, as you sit there, you know, they've probably got their heads down, um, you know, thinking over the half. But, look, Sheenji come in there, and I just couldn't believe how upbeat he was. And then he just went through a bit of a process of what's actually going on out there and, um, you know, pretty much what we had to fix up to, um, you know, to make it competitive. And then George talked about belief and, um, you know, how much belief we do have in our side. Uh, and the confidence grew from there, Nick. I... I just recall um, pretty much, you know, a couple of minutes before you get the tap to go back out there, everyone was pretty, um, you know, upbeat and everyone was quite prepared or quite uh, looking forward to getting back out there and, you know, giving it a go. Like, I, I thought it was quite positive considering how we sort of went, first went into the uh, change room to mm. the way we went out. Uh, and it was a credit to Shinji the way he'd, um, he'd upbeat us straight away and Mal obviously finishing off. And then, yeah, you, know, you get your laureate and his bit and everything, and you know it, it come down to the um, some of the games we had to go through to get there, and um, understanding that you know the belief and uh, some of the uh, moments we've had to go through, uh, I believe that you know that we were going to come through the other end of it. Like everyone talks about moments in the game where uh, you know I've been asked plenty of times uh, about different moments in the game. There's obviously the moment of you know field goals hitting goalposts and. And then uh, Chrissy O'Sullivan kicking the field goal. Jacko's great try, um, you know, which, you know, taking on half a side to score is just, yeah, they're just fantastic moments. But there's a moment for me uh, where it was late in the game and um, Little McNeil, remember Little McNeil? Yeah. uh, Yeah. Well, he's got the ball with some space on the last. And the way uh, George or Mal and I defended is, uh, you know, you had to really trust the guy on the inside. And he had a lot of space and a free winger. And we, we were doing our best, uh, Mal and I, to, to cover it up. And and I knew if I turned my outside shoulder into McNeil, like, for one metre, he, he passed it to the winger, the winger scores, and we probably, at that stage, lose the grand final. And yeah. so, so I've had to, I've had to go with my winger, and somehow Mal has tackled McNeil, like, by a bootlace or something, um, with all this room to move. And for me, that was a big moment because... It was gone. And yeah, huge not too moment. Many people, yeah, not too many people sort of look at that moment. But that tackle Mal made there um, was just one of the best. And that sticks in my head from that grand final as, as much as anything because the game would have turned. It would have been a whole different result for me. Paul Martin, having said that, I ask a lot of the guys who played at the Raiders team of the 89 grand final, Metaphorically speaking, is there something that you take out of that game, which is touted as the, the best grand final of all time? Is there an experience you take out of that game and apply to your life today? Oh, Nick, there's a number of them. Um, you know, like uh, to, to be part of a playing group such as that and understand that, you know, you, there's a role you have to do in that um, side. It's it's no different to being, you know, in a work environment and, mm. um, you know, having colleagues who you work with, you've got a job to do and you certainly learn pretty quick if... Um, you're not prepared to do it or you want to, uh, someone else will step up and do it. There's always someone to step up and do it. So, and, 
yeah, just uh, belief in e- each other to get something done, um, understanding other people's strengths and weaknesses. That game um, certainly taught me um, if you hang in there long enough, um, you know, rewards will come. Um, and nothing comes easy. They're probably, you know, the, the main um, lessons I, I've got out of it. And, uh, yeah, so, and you live your life by some of those things. Uh, they're fundamentally things I taught to my kids and do in business. Um, yeah, and that's pretty much the lessons I would say I've learnt. Well, Paul Martin, uh, thank you for joining us on the Behind the Limelight podcast as we go back in time to 89. Pleasure, Nick. Cheers. 